0: 94 3 The Game. WRHDHD 1 Farmville, Greenville. Powered by the Richie Law Firm Injury Lawyers. Go to GodBrian.com. That's GodBrian.com live ECU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo, on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. All right, welcome into
1: this Monday, June 12th edition of Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. Excited to have you back with us to start off a new week. And we've got a lot to discuss. We've got our ongoing ECU football opponent previews. We are going to talk later in the show with people that cover SMU and Tulane. Of course, we've already gone through several of the opponents for the upcoming 2023 ECU football season. We're going to continue that with SMU and Tulane. We'll talk to our old friend Corey Glore. He is the voice of the Tulane Green Wave. We'll catch up with him, talk about the Green Wave football team, and also Basketball and baseball as well, which just came off an NCAA Tournament Appearance Conference Tournament Championship. We'll also speak with Jordan Hoffaditz, who covers SMU for 24-7 sports, ponystampede.com. We'll check out check in with him, see what he's up to, and see what the Mustangs are going to be like this year. Huge transfer class. They'll be coming to Greenville on a Thursday night. So we'll get scattering reports on what to expect from SMU and Tulane we're also going to continue our look at the new look american athletic conference six new teams are coming in philip pilkington is in the ninety-four-three of the game studios philip we've done utsa uab and charlotte we've got three more teams to do today we are doing the rice owls and i don't know about you but nobody uh nobody gets my blood going more than than rice
2: why is that i gotta hear this story there's got to be some backstory
1: to this uh, I was being as sarcastic as oh, okay. possible because okay. I, think, yeah. I think Rice has got to be the most boring team. Like, like I've tried to get mad at them, and I, like, I can't even do it. And no disrespect <laughs> to Rice. I know it's a high academic institution. They've got great tradition in baseball, which we'll get into, but... Like when I think of the least sexiest schools possible, I think rice has got to be number one.
2: Yeah, I think the only people that are happy about this is are like directors of Ops because it's only like six miles from Houston. So I'm guessing they can stay in the same hotels and eat in the same restaurants that they were eating at when they went to go see the Cougars. But uh, that's about all I've got for excitement for rice. But if the baseball team comes back to what they used to be, I mean, that could be exciting, but they're a long ways from that right now, unfortunately
1: so we'll talk about the rice owls here shortly i want to first uh note there's a big recruiting weekend uh coming out of east carolina and we'll have uh, continued coverage on hoistacolors.net i'm also expecting an announcement probably sometime this hour in the 12 o'clock hour for a commitment coming out of that weekend so we'll keep you up to date there if there's any breaking news of course we got the vip chat going on, on hoistacolors.net we've got vip coverage from some recruiting visits for guys give their reactions to those visits. You can check it out, hoistacolors.net, 60% off a VIP special going on now. Philip, we also talked about on Friday, the Super Regional. Were we interested in Super Regional weekend? And I found myself watching probably more than I thought I would. Uh, I particularly kept a close eye on Virginia, which lost the first game to Duke. As we were on the air Friday, they had fallen behind. And They ended up losing that game on on what looked to be a walk-off home run from Jay Geloff, it was called, at the warning track, where they bounced back, they went to. So ECU, yet another season of playing an opponent that ends up going to the College World Series in either a regional or super regional, and uh, it kind of shows you how tough that draw was. But did anything stand out to you from either that series or super regional weekend altogether?
2: Yeah, I mean, that series, I guess the nice thing was if you're going to lose, you went out and saw a team beat a team that had taken two out of three from them earlier in the season, and they responded well and continued to play at the level they played against when they played the Pirates, so... Uh, It's never fun to lose, but at least if you're going to lose, you felt like you lost to a truly superior opponent. Uh, Other than that, just how dominant Wake Forest really is. Not that I think Alabama is anything special, but uh, they still hosted it. They're still in the NCAA tournament for a reason. Like Coach Godwin says, all the teams that you face at this point in the year are good, and they went out there and made Alabama look totally irrelevant uh, this weekend.
1: Wake Forest is unreal, and we'll see if they can snap the curse of the number one overall seed. Winning the national title has not been done, I believe, since 99. If anybody's going to do it, you would think it would be Wake Forest. So thus far, you know, Wake Forest has punched its ticket to the College World Series. LSU punched the ticket with a a sweep of Kentucky. Uh, Virginia, of course, going. Oral Roberts, the big story, the fourth seed. And I've said all along, man, this is not a fourth seed. I know they were seeded as four which technically makes them a 4C. But in terms of talent, you know they, they entered the tournament, I believe, with 45, 46 wins. I mean, that is a ton of wins. And uh, they only lost the one game to Oregon. Then they came back, one on Saturday and, and one on Sunday. So I don't know about you, Philip, but I'm excited about how the field's shaking out. You've got some underdogs, and there's still a couple of games left to to be decided. Six of the eight tickets have been punched. But you got Tennessee and Southern Miss playing a rubber game today along with Stanford- in Texas, I'm really pulling for Southern Miss to make it. But even if it ends up being Tennessee and whoever, I, I like how the field's shaping up for Omaha.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting group, and you know we talked about at the beginning of this term at the parity in college baseball at this point and you're seeing that especially the team like Oral Roberts becoming the only the third ever four seed to make it to Omaha yeah I'm kind of with you there I was a little shocked that they were a four seed I thought that they were uh, much better than Samford who was a three seed in the Auburn regional which I found a little bit weird but you know it's interesting you had a team like TCU in there as we all talked about the Big 12 having a down year a lot of people said that maybe no one would host uh, Oklahoma State obviously ended up hosting, and you could still have another potential Big Twelve team in there in Texas. So it's uh, it's not an all SEC ACC field. So that will uh, give us all something, someone to pull for, come uh, Omaha.
1: No doubt. I'm really excited about it. next week. It's a shame, of course, ECU won't be in it, but so be it. The Pirates will get there one day. We we'll have plenty of time to talk about East Carolina baseball in the coming months all right let's get into our american athletic conference discussion we got our interviews coming up with jordan Hoffeditz of pony stampede and, and corey Glore, Tulane lane uh, sports network here shortly but let's focus on the rice owls if we can for a moment philip uh <laughs> the uh the rice owls I, I don't know where you want to start here i guess we start with baseball even though it's a non-revenue sport because that's what rice is known for outside of education it is a very small school, but Rice, historically in baseball, has been a powerhouse. They have been to the College World Series seven times. All seven of those took place between 97 and 2008 during the Wayne Graham era. And as as Coach Graham got older, they kind of fell off a little bit, and they decided to make a coaching change. And they just haven't had a lot of success since then. To be honest, they've been pretty bad. They've been one of the worst teams in Compute USA. Now they're making the move to the American. And we've talked so much about ECU needs somebody else in baseball in the American to kind of be even a national contender, but certainly a a consistent regional team year in and year out to kind of help the profile of the league. Maybe Rice can get back there, but the jury's out. The the good news is, Philip, they have the tradition. I just, you know, I I think this is really interesting to see the key you know, the the development of their, their program as they make the jump to the American. What do you think about this program and where they fit into the footprint of the AAC?
2: I think immediately the American will be better for rice than rice is for the American. You know, we've kind of talked about with some of these others where – more TV revenue, hopefully success in other sports will have that trickle-down effect to a non-rev sport like baseball. But, you know, you mentioned them getting rid of Wayne Graham after the 2018 season. In the era of the portal, I think that hurt them more than it would have been had it been a pre-portal era because so many kids were able to just transfer out right away. And then when the first year wasn't good, it was almost like all that tradition just kind of went out the window. But hopefully Jose Cruz can't, Jr. can turn it around. He's had two seasons, they haven't shown much, but you know maybe now that they are playing in a conference with a team like East Carolina and a couple of these others that are a little bit more known entities that could help them in recruiting, you hope it does because, I mean, as you mentioned, if anybody else is going to jump up and be a national contender, it's Rice. But it's still a matter of if they can get back to what they used to be.
1: Yeah, seventeen and thirty-nine. Jose Cruz Jr. went in his inaugural season this past year. Not much better, twenty-one and thirty-seven. They went nine and twenty-one in Conference USA. I mean, they just have not been good. And I haven't looked at the attendance numbers. They used to, to pretty much have a big crowd every time out. I assume at Reckling Park, where ECU used to always struggle, that those attendance numbers have dropped off big time. So hopefully, they can they can recapture some sort of success there. They've gone through two coaches now since uh Wayne Graham uh, ended up leaving the program and you know tough shoes to fill but it's hard to imagine a program like that being so down it would almost be like ECU being that bad uh you know if, if Cliff Godwin were to leave or whatnot. and ECU historically even in their bad years are around 500 or or just over so Rice baseball I think is it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds basketball we we talked about uh we talked about how tough it is for ECU to make the NCAA tournament well, Rice has been even worse. It has been what since the 1970s, Phillips, since Rice made the NCAA tournament? Uh
2: 1970 was the last time they made wow. the NCAA tournament and they have not been ranked since the 57-58 season. So Aww. Yeah, exactly, Clark. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is uh it's uh it's below par for the American. The American's not really historically great basketball conference after the top 2 or 3 teams and they might be worse than some of the teams that are in it right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, as we go through this, I'm just kind of asking myself, like, what does Rice bring to the league, and we can get into that discussion here in a minute. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's a uh, it, it's it's a struggling program. I, I do want to note they did go above 500 last year under Scott Parra, their head coach. They went 19 and 16, eight and 12 in conference USA, but they have only gone over 500 twice in his six years on the job and it again a tough job much like east carolina uh this move to the american that's going to be tough for a program like rice but Conference usa was really good the last few years as well in basketball and many of these teams making the jump should provide a boost to cusa so i don't think they're a terrible basketball program at present but tradition wise don't bring a lot there either so let's look at football philip does Rice have any redeeming qualities in football? Well, they did go to a bowl game last year. The only problem is they went 5-8. and eight. So I guess if you're a really good academic program, you can get to a bowl game with just five wins. So that's a positive, right?
2: <laughs> I guess. The bowl games bring the conference money, so maybe they can finesse it a couple more times. But they've not been truly bowl eligible since 2014. They did make two, three straight bowls, excuse me, from 2012 to 2014. But, again, not really bringing much, I think, here from a football standpoint. Uh, I mean, we talk about how small of a following Houston had – Uh, When it came to football and how their people, you know, if there was a game, I think your exact words were if Houston was playing in Greenville, the people in Houston had no idea that the Cougars were here. Rice is the smaller university of the two. They're only six miles apart. And uh, I would say Houston's got more of a following than Rice, more tradition than Rice, won more games than Rice. This is a downgrade.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? So let's get into this discussion. And, And Mike Bloomberg, the head coach there. He's entering his sixth year. They've gone two and eleven, three and nine, two and three, four and eight, five and eight. So I guess there is some upward trajectory there, but overall they've struggled in CompuSA. USA. And we know the American in football is a much stiffer league. And UTSA, one of the best teams in Compete USA, making that move to to the American with Rice. So. What does Rice bring to the league, Philip? I mean, they bring the Houston market, but Houston is a Rice fan, and you always have that potential of, hey, if a team gets really good in a big market, they're going to have a following like UCF and even Houston did in basketball. But, like, those are pretty big schools. Rice is not. They are a small school. They're a private school. They're, you know, education-based. So, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's part of the move here, but you kind of already have – some quality private schools in the league with, with Tulane and I believe Tulsa. So I just – I question the decision to add Rice. Again, this is no disrespect to, to Rice or the American Conference. But, um, you know, I know they're investing more, which is good. They have the money to, But do they have the support from a fan perspective? I don't know. So what do you make of this move of adding the Rice Owls?
2: Well, it goes back to what we talked about last week. It's another team in a major market. That has no following. That's the mold of the American Athletic Conference. Let's just uh, put them right up there next to Temple and Cincinnati. Well, I know Cincinnati's leaving, but all these schools in these major metropolitan areas that, again, like you said, yeah, it is weird, man. It's it's it, When you see stuff like this, it, it it's like if it wasn't for money. I would be okay moving to the Sun Belt because at least these are small college towns where when our players go, it brings something. So to answer your question, because I guess I didn't – I kind of went off on a tangent. Um, they bring baseball tradition and one college World Series title. That's what they bring to the conference. But uh, that tradition has long been gone. And, yeah, I don't know. There's not much else a,
1: to say. Yeah, I mean, as I look at it, you're, if you're the American, you're banking on one thing, and that's – it's a rich institution – their endowment to fill up is $7.8 billion ECU by comparison is 211 million. So you want to talk about just having money to, you know, to spend, to fall back on. I mean, they, they're a huge institution academically in terms of money. And, you know, maybe you could make the argument like a school like SMU has taken all of its money that it didn't before entering the American and they applied it and they've had success. Maybe rice follows in that mold, but, you know, having that in theory and then actually executing it are two different things. And I think even SMU had some tradition and history to fall back on, whereas Rice is just Rice. So I don't know. We'll see. Maybe they'll surprise all of us, but um, I don't know. I, I'm just, th- this is by far the least thrilled of a team entering the American uh, for me, Philip.
2: Agreed. Could not agree more. Yeah, it's, it's a real head scratcher. Like you said, the endowment, I guess, that gives them upside, but still why would they put money into the athletic program if people aren't going to show up especially when you're that high academically like they don't get fans it looks like so if i'm you know high up on the board at rice i would honestly just say keep my academics where they are keep putting the money towards that well, why invest in an athletic program that's probably not going to see return on investment anyways hey I hope I'm wrong, but that's that's kinda how I would be thinking if I was some business person that did not care about sports and just cared about making money. And yeah, I just I don't know if they're gonna put the money in that SMU did, but we'll see.
1: We'll see. Tom will tell all right, let's get our first break in and on the other side. We will talk SMU. We'll talk to Jordan Hoffeditz who writes for ponystampede.com covering the SMU Mustangs. We'll preview What to expect when SMU rolls to Greenville on a Thursday night later this season. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game.
0: The Pirates play here. This is Hoist the Colors Radio with Stephen Igo. Yes! That was so good! On 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back into this
1: Monday, June 12th edition of Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. We've been running over East Carolina football opponents for the upcoming 2023 season for the better part of a few weeks now. We're going to do a couple today. we got Tulane coming up later with Corey Glore, former voice of ECU baseball, now the voice of the Tulane Greenway. We'll talk with him. But right now, we're going to inter- interview Jordan Hoffeditz from PonyStampede.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. to talk about SMU-ECU. October 12th, it'll be a Thursday night and, Jordan, it's been a busy offseason for you because every time I get on Twitter, I see SMU getting a transfer commitment, uh, it seems like. So what has this offseason been like for, for Rhett Lashley, his program, as they look to add talent into this program?
3: I think it's been a big one for him. I think it's everything an SMU fan should have wanted to see in year two. Um, I think last year, you know, they, they got some big transfer splashes. Uh, but I think them being on campus for a full year really got to see uh, maybe some of the holes that were there, some of the issues, some of the things that needed to be uh, addressed right away through the transfer portal, and they pretty much hit it from day one hard, uh, had a bunch of guys from the transfer portal on campus this spring, um, and I think it's, it's made a pretty instant impact for them.
1: Jordan Hoffeditz from PonyStampede.com Covers the SMU Mustangs And and Jordan, you look at this transfer list And we'll get into what's also coming back And you know what's gone but What are some of the questions about this 2023 SMU team But it's almost like they've addressed Every single position I don't know if there's a, there's a position they didn't address uh, 26 transfers listed by 24-7 sports uh, Ranked 12th nationally In terms of a transfer recruiting class ECU I think has close to 16 or 17 as well. So they have a big transfer class too. And, you know, there's pros and cons building through the transfer portal. It is risk in some way, but also can be a big reward. So, you know, what do you feel like led to this approach where they are being so transfer heavy versus maybe relying more on
3: development and that sort of stuff? Well, I think it's been interesting to kind of see how they've approached it because they certainly do have a handful of you know, guys with just one year left that are going to be one and done uh, coming in for their final year of eligibility. Uh, But, you know, they've also got a couple guys through the transfer portal who have four years of eligibility left and three years, uh, and then a bunch with two. So they are kind of choosing to develop through the transfer portal as well. Um, I think, you know, it's something that uh, in the recruiting, especially recruiting the state of Texas, When you've got some giants like UT and A and M, and even you know Tech and Baylor have had uh, good approaches, and of course what TCU uh, did last year and has done the last couple years, um, a lot of times you aren't necessarily able to get that Dallas area Texas talent out of high school when you're in SMU. But when they go elsewhere, and it's either you know further from home than they thought, there's a coaching change, there's uh extenuating circumstances of any kind smu has done such a good job of bringing those guys home and just out of those 26 guys a bunch of them are from the dallas area then a handful more are from texas and then obviously you've got i think there are six Miami guys which is where uh coach lashley was oc before coming back to smu brought a handful of of coaches from there as well um You know, and a a couple other, uh, you know, Liberty guys on defense where defensive coordinator Scott Simons was. So they've just done a really good job of, um, you know, relationships, whether they were guys that were recruited by SME out of high school, chose to go elsewhere, and have come back. Um, They're kind of winning that, you know, I guess it's kind of that, you know, second mouse gets the cheese kind of approach to it, but they've done such a good job of finding a way to get these top players into the SMU locker room and onto the field wearing an SMU jersey that if it has to be through the transfer portal, so be it. If it has to be for just one year, so be it. If you get these guys for two, three, four years, even better.
1: Following recruiting and following the NIL stuff, I feel like SMU was maybe the first team or one of the first teams in the American to really get behind NIL the donors supported it. I think that's paid off with their recruiting. You, you look at the numbers the last few years. Even high school recruiting has been at a very high level for the American Athletic Conference. What type of difference do you think it, it has made? SMU fans getting behind NIL and you know offering some some pretty good money to to players to come into their their men's basketball and, and football programs.
3: Well, I think what SMU and uh, the people who support SMU have done a really good job in is there are two uh, collectives. And there is one that's basically all about everybody on the team getting X amount of dollars. uh, And then the other one is kind of all of the extra stuff. What I think, uh, you know, the collectives have done and the supporters have done a really good job of is, you know, if you want to be somebody that just wants to be. Uh, a part of helping these college athletes and just being a part of making sure they get kind of a a yearly salary, uh, if you will, you can, you can be a part of that collective. If you want to be maybe the guys that uh, are on the, Hey, what maybe extra do we need to get this guy? You can join that collective. And then I think from a standpoint of a lot of it shows, there is a lot of support for the SMU athletic program. And I know, you know, a lot of jokes get made about, you know, the half filled football stadium and this and that, and the other thing. And I think what the collectives have done is showed that there is at a high level, uh, a very big interest in SMU athletics being successful. And I think that that also, I mean, any, any kid's going to want some, some extra money in their pocket, but to also have kind of that recognition of support and support at a pretty high level, um, really does a lot to you to say hey look we've got these people pouring money into the athletic program we've got them pouring money into facilities you know they're working on the 110 million dollar end zone project right now on the football stadium we've got them pouring money into our student athletes they've got a great program it's life after ball uh that gets uh the student athletes internships uh that helps set them up for their time uh after smu if that's not a professional route for them um so i think just they've done a really good job of supporting these athletes and showing kind of that support structure that's going to be there for them uh financially academically uh all the way through until even after they're they're done with their time at smu
1: we're visiting with jordan Hoffeditz who covers smu for 24 7 sports smu will roll to greenville on october 12th a thursday night espn game should be a good atmosphere come october what could be a big game in the american so i want to ask uh jordan about you know sunny dykes of course leaves smu for bitter rival tcu i mean that that in itself is is got to be a pretty brutal uh you know choice for the fan base and i know there's speculation about him leaving but when he left for tcu how much of a i don't know how much of that spurring the fan base and then also you guys obviously at SMU play TCU pretty much on an annual basis. So what is that robbery like now? Is it even taken to the the next level?
3: Oh, definitely. You know, I think um, obviously when you're kind of a school at SMU, like SMU, you kind of figure that maybe you're a bit of a stepping stone for coaches. Uh, You know, uh, Coach Morris came in and had some pretty good success. He then leaves for a head coaching job at Arkansas. I don't think there were too many people that were hurt by him leaving for Arkansas. Um, when when Sonny leaves down the street for your rival, uh, that's a little different. And then, of course, there was just everything that went about with it where you know it was kind of speculated and reported and everything during the end of the season. And then the team ended that season so poorly amidst those uh, rumors and everything else uh, left a really bad taste in people's mouths. Um, and, you know, I think there's something to be said about SMU beat TCU, uh, the last two times they played going into last year, um, and, and probably would have been three had they played the 2020 game. Um, and, you know, I, I think, uh, SMU came out a little flat in that game and, and really pushed them there at the end, uh. And so I I do think it takes it to another level. SMU goes back to Fort Worth uh, this year where they've won the last two trips there. Um, And it's going to be an interesting environment, especially uh, depending on how some things go early in the season for both teams.
1: ECU and SMU battling on October 12th. And both teams have a a big question at quarterback Jordan. Uh, East Carolina, of course, losing whole nailers. And and kind of similar circumstances, ECU, one of their top recruits in program history, Mason Garcia, has been kind of waiting his time to be the guy. He's in a battle with Alex Flynn. And then you got Preston Stone at SMU, who's a highly recruited guy, also has been kind of waiting to be the guy as Tanner Mordecai transfers to Wisconsin. So is Preston Stone kind of looked at as the starter at this point, or does he have to go out and win the job uh, heading heading into the fall?
3: Uh, it's his job. Um, I don't know if that's really been said Point to that point. Uh, I think Coach Lashley has said enough about Preston and about the offense running around Preston and just the way spring practices were held, uh, that it's Preston's job. Um, he's a guy uh, fans got a little bit of taste of. He started uh, at Tulsa last year when Tanner was out with a concussion, of course, that also ended Preston's season. He broke his collarbone a little bit before halftime. Um, and so I think, you know, that little bit of taste definitely uh, got the fan base ready. Um, you know, Tanner's departure was such a it was such a weird situation because I don't think, no nobody thought he was going to be in an SMU uniform uh, next season. Everybody knew that that bull game was his last time putting on the, the SMU jersey. Uh, I think most people probably thought that that meant he was going to go pro somewhere, and maybe it was a little bit of a surprise that he stayed in college and that he transferred uh, to Wisconsin. But I think pretty much from the end of that bowl game, uh, this became Preston Stone's team.
1: Jordan, last question for you, a tough non-conference schedule. We We talked about the TCU game, and then they play Oklahoma the second week on the road after opening with Louisiana Tech at home. But you look at the conference slate, I think it's very manageable. You know, look at the American Athletic Conference, UTSA, I think coming in is going to be a, a favorite. I think SMU will be preseason pick pretty high. Uh, Memphis, I think, as well. ECU kind of a wild card with some rebuilding uh, or reloading, whatever you will, term you prefer. But, you know, a good program under Mike Houston at this point. Is that ECU game early in conference play kind of a, you know, maybe a swing game if the Mustangs want to compete for a a conference title? It seems like that would be one of the more tricky games on their schedule.
3: Oh, definitely. Uh, And the fact it's the first, um, you know, conference road game, uh, it'll come midweek after um, off Saturday. So it'll uh, kind of be about how the team adjusts to that a little bit on a a little bit of a different schedule. But, you know, I think the – the conference schedule lines up really well for SMU. Uh, you know, they don't have to play Tulane or UTSA. Uh, like you said, a couple of the the co-favorites, the defending champion uh, in their uh, regular season. But I think their two toughest games in conference are both on the road at ECU uh, and then in the next to last week of the season at Memphis. Um, and and that, that ECU game is going to be a really nice barometer of, of this team, of where it stands, of its aspirations of reaching the title game, hosting the title game, winning the title game. Um, they're gonna. That's gonna be an early uh, kind of gut check for them, and it's gonna be interesting to see how they react on the road, a place they don't necessarily play a lot, but that is a, a hostile environment. Uh, you can speak better to it if a, a Thursday night game is maybe. Uh, whether that's an advantage for SMU if fans won't come out as much or if maybe they will come out more than they would a regular Saturday uh, game. But I think that's going to be a really interesting game uh, for both teams as they try and and make uh, the top two and, and get into that conference tournament, uh, conference championship game.
1: No doubt. One thing is for sure, the, the big student section will be ready to go. The rest of the stadium, we'll see. Uh, it may depend on what the early season success looks like as far as some of the older fans but it should be a good atmosphere on that thursday night he is jordan Hoffeditz. jordan we appreciate it we'll uh you know, we'll hit you up again before kickoff in october and i'm sure you know we'll be sharing some info and back and forth before then but i uh, appreciate everything and uh thanks for coming on today's show
3: thank you thanks for having me
1: that's jordan Hoffeditz from pony stampede .com. Good preview of the SMU Mustangs. I think one of the favorites in the league with all the success they've had recruiting and what they have returning going through the fall. All right, on the other side, we'll talk to another guy who is the play by play voice, Corey Glore of one of the other favorites heading into the American Athletic Conference season. Of course, they won the big time bowl over USC last fall, and we'll catch up with Corey Glore, the former voice of the Pirate baseball team as well old friend of mine. We'll talk to Corey Glore on the other side. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game.
0: We're live with Steven Igo on 94.3 The Game. Hoist the Johnny Roger! Now, back to Hoist the Colors. Hi, welcome back into
1: this Monday, June 12th edition of the program. We're rolling right along with our opponent previews for the upcoming football season. We just talked about the SMU Mustangs. Now we're going to talk about the potential preseason favorite in the league, the two lane green wave. And to do that, we're gonna welcome in old friend of mine, Corey Glore. He is the voice of the two lane green wave. Corey, how's it going?
4: By old friend, what are you referring to? <laughs> I, knowing that I just had a birthday last week.
1: <laughs> That's exactly it. I know you're you're getting up there in age, much like I am. So I, I knew as Susan said that you were gonna say something. <laughs> oh wow. Wow, Happy job, birthday! Man. By the way, they
4: have thrown just a budget at you at Interbank's Media that I could not even fathom.
1: <laughs> I tell you what, I didn't even expect that. So we we got our producer Clark just pulling out all the stops today, man. But no, nah, it's the show's going well. I picked up a lot of tips from from yourself over the years, so. Uh, I appreciate uh, all your help and everything, and it was good to reconnect earlier this year. I want to ask first, when we talk football, how, how weird was it calling a a conference championship for a 40-loss uh, a team over the team you used to be the play-by-play announcer for, ECU Baseball? That had to be an experience.
4: That was Probably I'd say that the final surreal event for me here since coming down to Tulane was having that opportunity come and, and and not just because it was against the the program that I spent six years with. uh, But as you mentioned, it it was uh, just a mess of a year for Tulane baseball and to make that kind of run that I I don't know if we'll see something like that again. um, That, that just added, Something to that day that it's still tricky to wrap my head around. Uh, that that was strange. It was a thrill, uh, and it was wildly unexpected.
1: Corey Glor is with us, and of course, baseball season now in the rearview mirror. But Tulane coming off a, a just phenomenal football season, one of the best in program history, twelve and two. They won the Cotton Bowl right after a two and ten year with a ton of injuries. They got all those guys back. It was just a great season and. I guess, you know, what What are fair expectations for Tulane going into 2023? I'm sure you've done a bunch of interviews about 2022 at this point. But, you know, I know they've got a lot coming back. They also lost some key pieces. Where do you think fair expectations are for this Green Wave team?
4: You know, I, I think it's uh, – I, I don't know if it's at the point where fans are expecting, like, all right, let's get, you know, back-to-back New Year Six. Like, I, I don't think it's there. Uh, Tulane fans over the years kind of know – realism and, and and optimism has has been trickier to come by over the decades. So now that things are riding high, I think there's a little bit more of a perspective here from folks about contending for the conference championship is the barometer now this year. And I don't know where the New York Six slot would be for a group of five team. I think it's the Peach Bowl. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd be foolish if I said fans would love to see that again. But I think with the way the league is going to be reshaping and knowing that now that this team's not sneaking up on anybody at this point Um, They know that the challenge is going to be rather steep in terms of going back to back. I I think there's an expectation of at least contending for the league again this coming year, but knowing that it's a little bit different being the hunted now as opposed to the hunter um, and the type of schedule that Tulane has coming up this fall doesn't have a lot of wiggle room in terms of breathing for them, and so uh, they're going to have to earn it this coming fall if they're going to go back to back.
1: So Tajay Spears obviously gone to the NFL draft and the, the standout linebackers as well. But Michael Pratt is back, and there are some other key, pat, key pieces back as well, Corey. And when you look at the, the team as a, as a whole, what, what are what are the positions Willie Fritz and his group feel good about? And then what are some question marks as you go into the season?
4: Well, you hit on the two big question marks in running back and linebackers. Uh, there, there's not going to be much replacing Tajay Spears and what he meant to this team. It's an all-timer here at Tulane, what he did last year, but really throughout his career. And so there there are a couple of guys they're high on in the backfield. We saw a little bit of shoddy Clayton, Johnson, Iverson, Celestine last year. They're going to get some run. A true freshman coming in by the name of Arnold Barnes has really impressed them. And a guy that was injured in camp last year didn't see the field, and Makai Hughes. He was another guy that this team really loved before he injured himself before the season began. And so I think they, they feel pretty good about where they sit in the running back room. It's just not going to be, you know, a, a one man show and the dynamic weapon that Tajay Spears was. And Dorian Williams, Nick Anderson, those two linebackers, uh, that's going to be tricky. Now they bring in a guy from Louisiana Tech and Tyler Grubbs. Um, who was a, a terrific tackler at La Tech, and now he comes back home here to New Orleans. Uh, they think the sky's the limit with that guy. But, but around that group, um, I mean, they're obviously high in a fourth-year starting quarterback. And, and Michael Pratt, their offensive line is pretty much all back with the exception of their left tackle. That's the only substitution they have to make there up front. Their defensive line is all back next year, and they have a new defensive coordinator in which there might be a little bit more aggressive in terms of pass rush, unlike what they were last year. Uh, and so that front four all returns from last season's group. The secondary gets a little bit thinner, but they're, they're really high on uh, their two cornerbacks, in Jarius Monroe and Lance Robinson. Uh, and so I think they feel good kind of across the board, but there's an obvious hole in the running back spot. There are some big weapons that need to step up in the linebacker room.
1: Yeah, you, you know, you mentioned the new coordinator on defense and also the, the new promoted coordinator on offense. And normally I would, like, circle this and be concerned about it for Tulane. But I feel like every time Willie Fritz has had to make a hire, he pretty much hits a home run. Uh, and, and, you know, there's been – you know, you're not going to have 100% success rate in the coordinator positions. But it just feels like he, he knows how to hire. And, and I don't know, from your perspective, do you kind of feel like they won't miss too much of a beat even with some changes on the, the coordinator staffs?
4: You know, I I don't think so on the offensive end. Slade Nagel is now the new offensive coordinator, and we found out really at the tail end of last year that he essentially took over the play calling as last year went along, and so that's not going to be much of skipping a beat there. You do have a new offensive line coach. And Dan Roucher and, and he comes over from his time I mean he was with the Saints for a long time and so you have an NFL guy coming over as well as a new special teams coach and who's also coming in from NFL circles Yeah. Wood is the new defensive coordinator he had a terrific defense at Troy last year and so having a new voice there I think that's going to be interesting to see panning out in the first couple of weeks Chris Hampton was zone coverage guy, but it really was, he, he put that in place because he, he sensed that would be the best for the personnel that he had. Shield Wood's a little bit more aggressive on the defensive side of the ball, what we saw with Troy last year, and so I'm going to be fascinated to see how things will look on that end in the first two, three weeks of the year, especially that the competition that Tulane will have to open up the year, and if, if there's going to be a hiccup it might be on that side of the ball early on just to get everyone on the same page. But the track record of Coach Wood has kind of shown itself over the last few years. So it, you're right. Willie Frisch just kind of has a knack of finding these guys to fill his coaching room. And the, by and large, they all seem to hit.
1: So Tulane travels to East Carolina in the, the yearly Cory Glorbo on November 4th. That'll be a, a big game. ECU actually travels, I think, to UTSA the week before then and then Tulane finishes with UTSA at the at the very end of the year, which could have a conference championship ramifications. But as you look at that ECU game on November fourth, you know we still don't really know what this ECU team is going to be. Just talking to people, I feel like the talent is there. There's just so much inexperience. But as you know, tough place to play. Do you think that could be a a potential swing game on Tulane's schedule?
4: Yeah, I mean, uh, like, like I mentioned earlier with you, Stephen, that the non-conference plate that Tulane has is not nearly as kind as last year. And they went to the Big 12 champion last year and beat them. But, but this year it's South Alabama hosting Ole Miss at Southern Miss is your first three weeks of the year. And so that's not going to leave a lot of wiggle room for you once conference play begins. And so a trip to Greenville, especially later on in the year that is after Tulane's bye week, the bye week comes somewhat early for Tulane this year. Uh, And so where they are, physically speaking, heading into a place that is tricky to play, and at least what we saw last year, a a rather physical defense to play. Again, there's going to be a lot of, changes with how ECU looks, but I don't think the style of play is going to differ too much. And so how things look for Tulane by that point of the year, seeing a team that is going to be pretty aggressive on you, especially on the pass rush, um, they will test a fourth-year starting quarterback, there's no question. And so, yeah, I think with where Tulane was last year, they were undefeated on the road, and so they know what importance lies there Um, And by that point of the season, ECU is going to figure out who they are that deep into the year. You'd probably rather see that team in early October as opposed to early November. Um, But with what we've seen from Mike Houston over the last couple of years, they will by that point have long figured out where their strengths lie, even with a bunch of new personnel coming in. So it's going to be a test. There's going to be no question about it going to that place late in the year. Um, when you're kind of beat up and your bi-weeks well in the rear view mirror, that's going to be a challenge.
1: He is Corey Glore, the voice of the two lane green wave. Corey, we appreciate the time on today's show, man. Always good to, to hear from you. I'm sure we'll be talking again soon. It's always good to hear from my old friend.
4: Steven, uh, it's a pleasure to be your old friend. <laughs> Welcome to the dark side known on a sports radio. You're doing great work. Keep it
1: up, pal. I appreciate it, man. I'm, I'm trying not to get too worn down and, and too old too quickly, but, uh, I appreciate it. That is Corey Glore, voice of Tulane. On the other side, we'll be rejoined by Philip Pilkinton to wrap up today's program. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The
0: Game.
2: Hey, what's happening, man? What's happening?
0: Tell me what's happening! Every ECU fan's one stop for all things ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome in to
1: Hoist the Colors, wrapping up our show today. Monday, June 12th edition. Great conversations with Jordan Hoffmanitz from Pony Stampede and also Corey Glor from the Tulane Radio Booth. He's the play-by-play voice of Tulane. Philip, what did you learn from uh, our interviews? As Philip Pilkington rejoins us, uh, did you did you learn anything new about the Green Wave or the the Ponies that may cause you to reassess your thoughts on the Pirate schedule this fall?
2: I don't know if I would say completely reassess, but... I learned a lot about SMUs as far as it goes to the transfers because I was a little worried with Tanner Mordecai going back to a Power Five program. Obviously, he came to the Green Wave from Oklahoma, so he was originally recruited by a Power Five program, as well as just other pieces they lost. I mean, it was a pretty good football team last year, but a lot of those starters departed, and it's interesting to see how well Rhett Lashley has done in the portal. And it uh, looks like SMU may not be taking a step back this year, and uh, that's kind of unfortunate i guess when you're a team in that conference because they were one of the teams towards the top one of the teams you had to look out for to uh, potentially play in the conference championship game and i think they will be there again or you know in contention to play in it again this year
1: it'd be nice if some of these teams that are mainstays in the american in a new look american could win some non-conference games early in the season to really open some eyes for example Tulane taking on Ole Miss in week two I don't think it's an unwinnable game but certainly a tough game you've got uh, SMU traveling to Oklahoma traveling to TCU you've got East Carolina of course taking on Michigan not saying the Pirates are going to win that one but you know just have some good showings early in the season to show hey this may be the American without UCF Houston and Cincinnati but we're still going to be the best of the rest so to speak and I think non-conference plays where you make that statement
2: you do and you know this is going to be important moving forward because the college football playoff is going to expand and the top group of five conference champion is going to get in And, you know, I understand that's years, a couple years down the road, but in order to have teams go in highly ranked already into those seasons when the college football playoff gets expanded, you need to have success in previous years in order to get that respect because it is five conferences fighting for one spot. And the big thing is when you get that college football playoff, it's going to be a lot of revenue for the conference. So it's big. You obviously, like you said, you want to see those teams have success. And I think there are a lot of opportunities. Will they capitalize only time will tell but the key thing is there are opportunities
1: that is the voice of Pilkington thanks again to Corey Glore and also Jordan Hoffman it's been a fun show we'll continue our previews tomorrow with Kevin Fielder who covers FAU we'll also have Shane Winkler the head softball coach at ECU in studio tomorrow at 12 noon on Hoist the Colors we'll be back with you then thanks for listening on 94.3 the game
0: This has been Hoist the colors with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 94.3thegame.com, on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back tomorrow with more of Hoist the Collars on 94.3 The Game.